This is your time to lit up with Angela Breidenbach. Lit up is lighting up the literary world with book reviews, in-depth expert interviews, and ideas for you to design a lucrative writing career. Expand your imagination to enhance your life. Lit up is always family friendly, always good for your heart. Now here is your host to lit up, Angela Breidenbach. Has anyone ever said to you, man, that'd make a good story, or you should put that down on paper, but you don't feel like you can do it? Those fears in your head, I can't let anyone read my stories. Who cares about what I have to say? Who would read anything I wrote anyway? I'm not special enough or original enough. If those are the fears flying through your mind like a plague of locusts, eating up your confidence each time you sit down to write, all those fears and more boil down to one problem, feeling unworthy. But you are worthy. God gave you a voice and all those ideas swirling in your head for a reason. To write them so that you can make a difference in the world, so that you can touch another person's heart. Let's tackle those fears together, because you are worthy to write. Pick up your copy of Worthy to Write on Amazon. Hi, and we're so glad you can be with us here on Lit Up Radio. My guest today is Linda Clare, and I'm excited that we're going to talk about memoir writing. We haven't really had anyone to help us learn about memoir writing. It's an important aspect of not just the industry, but of people's lives and of preserving the history that goes in with families and genealogy. But Linda's going to help us learn a little bit more of why or why not a memoir may or may not sell. So we're going to talk about that today. She's been a freelance writer for more than 25 years. In addition to teaching writing, she coaches writers. Her blog, Linda Clare's Writer's Tips, focuses on providing weekly writer's tips you can actually use. She's the award-winning author of six books and many articles, short stories and essays. She co-authored a non-fiction book, Lost Boys and the Moms Who Love Them, from Waterbrook in 2002. So if you're a mom out there who is struggling to love your child because they're in dangerous behavior, whether it is drugs and alcohol or because they're off in a, in a place where they aren't safe, you might want to pick up this book, Lost Boys and the Moms Who Love Them from Waterbrook, with Melody Carlson and Heather Harpen Cup. They and then she wrote two nonfiction books with Kristen Johnson Ingram and has published two novels, The Fence My Father Built from Abingdon in 2009, which I read and loved, and A Sky Without Stars, Abingdon Press 2014. She lives in Eugene, Oregon, and is represented by Nick Harrison of WordServe Literary, who is also a delightful person to know. She's also a lot of fun because she and I have a love for Kitty Cats, Excuse Me Muse, Fee Lions, and she's Miss Cranky Pants at lindasclare.com. That's S as in sugar, C-L-A-R-E.com. Her books, A Sky Without Stars and The Fence My Father Built, will be featured on the show notes, so be sure to pick them up. Welcome, Linda. 
Hi, Angie. It's so great to be here. I'm really glad to be able to have you. I know we've been talking about having you on the show for a while, and our schedules meshed just right. It just feels like the stars came together. So oh, they did. Yeah, whether it's the sky without stars, our sky has them right now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so I want you to tell us a little bit, please, about your books, A Sky Without Stars and The Fence My Father Built. Just give us a little bit of an overview of those, and then let's get okay. into why you are a memoir teacher after that. Okay. The Fence My Father Built should give uh, writers of novels out there great hope because I had to work on it for 15 years before it actually saw the light of day in print. Wow. Uh, I got the idea originally at a writer's conference one summer and worked on it and worked on it and worked on it and worked on it. It came close to being published in a lot of ways. And <laughs> finally, in 2008-ish, a new fiction line was starting up and it was picked up and published. And so anybody who's been working on a novel for a long time can take hope from that. And this um, one had to do with your own essence of Native American history that actually belongs to you. Am I correct? I am kind of exploring issues in that book about where do we belong? Where do we come from? I like to joke that my family tree is more like a bush because <laughs> my, mo my mother was adopted by both parents. And so she didn't know her biological parents growing up because back in those days adoption records were sealed mm -hmm. and my mother remarried and I was adopted by her second husband so I didn't grow up knowing my biological father growing up either. My quest to find him, I don't know why. I, I grew up in a very nice home. My, my adoptive father was a wonderful person but I just always burned to know who my real father was. Mm -hmm. And I actually located him when I was about 42 years old. Wow. And that was last week, right? Yeah, I agree. You look uh, 42. Yeah, I mean, you're gorgeous. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but that's where uh, the theme for the fence my father built kind of came from, mm -hmm. was just that longing to know. And because I found out when I located my biological father that the Native American was a part of our history, I had grown up in Phoenix, Arizona, where Indian stuff is everywhere. Did you have an affinity with that uh, artwork or anything like that? Yes, yes. Growing up. Before I, knowing. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I was always drawn to it. Uh, mm -hmm. My grandmother in Phoenix actually, well, she wasn't related to me, but she I called her grandma. Mm -hmm. They lived across the street practically from the Phoenix Indian School mm -hmm. where lots of different tribes were sent, especially in the earlier part of the 20th century. Yes, yes. Yes, I grew up saturated in Indian artwork and was always fascinated by Native American culture. And so when I found out it was part of me, that made it even more special because I just always knew that there was a dignity and a grace to the story of the Native American that I really related to. Do you know so, what uh, tribe that you come out of? Do you have any um, knowledge to that? Well, my biological grandfather was born in Salisaw, Oklahoma, which mm -hmm. is right on the border with Arkansas and is 
practically within spitting distance of the Cherokee Reservation. I know everybody says they're Cherokee, but I also have some Paiute and a couple of other tribes to a lesser degree get figured in there. So that's about all I know, but it was enough for me. Have you ever done the DNA testing? Because I know some tribes are within the DNA testing banks and some are not. So I'm curious if you've done that. I have just recently, actually, in the last couple of months, and the results are not specific. They're not conclusive because so many, you know, I've been in college for genealogy, and one of the big gaps in genealogy DNA is that a lot of the native tribes are not represented, and they have to have enough of a bank of DNA to be able to test against. Right, so right. often that's why they're inconclusive, but there's a few tribes that they have enough of a bank that they can definitely, you know, test that. Right. I really have always been interested in Native American culture. And after I wrote The Fence My Father Built, I set it in Central Oregon because one of the things that amazed me after moving here to Oregon from the dust of Arizona Mm -hmm. is that when you go over the Cascade Mountains, I live more on the west side, Mm -hmm. but when you go over to the eastern part of the state, central Oregon in particular looks a whole lot like northern Arizona. Yes, it It, does. (laughs) they, They even even have the red dirt the way we do in Sedona area of Prescott, Sedona area of Mm -hmm. Arizona. So I was just amazed and absolutely flabbergasted about that. So I set, instead of in Arizona, I set my story in that kind of rural region of central Oregon where the dirt is red and the wind blows and there's not much more than the um, tumbleweeds that you read about. I was going to say that, yeah. I've driven that road many, many times because we had kids that, we have one of our kids that went to school in Eugene, Oregon. And so we drove through, you know, and it just amazed me how deserty and Mm -hmm. yet beautiful it is. Oh, very, very beautiful. Um, just so I, I kind of took that theme of doesn't everybody want to know where they came from? And it's a interesting instinct that I was just on fire for. And mm-hmm. the interesting thing is that whenever I talk to people about that book, I hear a lot of people who will come up to me and say, I'm an adoptee too. I've mm-hmm. always wanted to know where did I come from? So I think that when you're when you have that fire burning in you, you're just not going to stop until you get some sort of satisfaction. At least I couldn't. I think and, a lot of people want to know, like we have an adopted grandson now, and they have kept the lines open with his family of origin. But I think a lot of people in the past, were, adoptions, like you said, were really closed. Or even yes. today, there may be a family that they don't want to keep the the, fa- the lines of communication open for one reason or another. Maybe it's safety factor or, or whatever. That yes. I think mm-hmm. that it, if you don't know, I think there's always that, you know, curiosity. There's people I have heard that say, well, I don't want to know. I had this and I had that. And I've felt like when you delve deep underneath that, the adamant stance is there's maybe there's a sense of, anger. I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not positive and I can't speak for everyone, but that anger that just shuts the door because they feel, yeah. you know, that, but that could be one reason. Well, I sort of think about it like 
probably heard the adage that we all have inside us a God-shaped empty place. Yes. Mm -hmm. And to me, there's another little empty place until I found where I had come from. There was this empty place that longed to know. And I think that even the person who wants to slam that door and be angry or whatever, they probably still have that empty spot, but maybe they're just not going to go there, you know, Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. I, for one, couldn't ignore it. And since I had been so enamored of Native American traditions and culture, when Abingdon announced that they uh, were going to publish all these books about quilts, I couldn't help but listen to this small voice in my head that seemed to be coming from a Native American named Frankie Chasing Bear. And the title of A Sky Without Stars comes from the saying that a bed without a quilt is like a sky without stars. Mm. I chose the Lakota star quilt. Well, Frankie chose it. (laughs) So I got to tell her story, which is set in the 1950s in Phoenix area. But it details this Lakota woman's life as she is taken away from her home when her husband enters a, a real program that went on in that era called the uh, Native American Relocation Program, where they were taking Native Americans from the reservations and sending them to the big cities to find work and to find so that they would have gainful employment. Well, in my story, Frankie's husband dies suddenly on their way to one of these uh, jobs as they are traveling cross country, and she sort of gets stranded in Phoenix with her son, Harold, who is a young boy, about 10 years old. And we'll be back in just a moment to hear the rest of that story. Stay right where you are. There's more Lit Up right after this. Does your past haunt you? Do you feel helpless sometimes? Are deep wounds still hurting your heart? Discover how the troubles from your past have prepared you for a beautiful future in Gems of Wisdom by Angela Breidenbach. In Gems of Wisdom, you'll learn how to forgive emotional pirates, better manage negative people, tough situations, and face your fears. Become the woman of courage, confidence, and candor you want to be. Get your copy of Gems of Wisdom, the treasure of experience today, wherever books are sold, or at Angela Breidenbach. I'd like to invite you to subscribe to Lit Up on iTunes. You can subscribe also on toginet.com. It's all about having a more lucrative, creative career and picking the brains of experts that have walked those steps ahead of you. And be sure to share it with someone else that you know is really interested in building a lucrative, creative career. We're glad you're back for more Lit Up. Now here's your host, Angela Breidenbach. If you ever dreamed of doing anything in the writing industry, or you're just really curious about the people in the writing industry, this is a show for you. You can find me at Ange Breidenbach, A-N-G-B-R-E-I-D-E-N-B-A-C-H, on almost any social media. And we're back. We have to hear the rest of the story of what happened to Frankie when she was stranded in Phoenix with her son. Can you continue telling us, Linda? Sure. 
she uh, gets wound up with a guy. This is kind of a romance story mm-hmm. that uh, named Nick Parker, who works for the BALM, and uh, he is kind of and that's the, the Bureau of Land Management for people who don't know. Right, uh, you're out west. Yes, we we most of us know, but maybe not so much then. And she is uh, working on a Lakota star quilt. Even as she is sitting there in Phoenix, um, her son Harold goes to the Phoenix Indian School where she finds out what horrible oppression the natives were subjected to back in the 50s. Mm-hmm. There were lots of things that, that were enforced, such as uh, cutting off natives' hair, mm-hmm. which was like cutting off their identity, mm-hmm. forcing them never to speak their language telling them that they were to tell their names and write their names on things, which in Native culture is a very big no-no because it takes power away from you and, according to Native tradition, can open you up to all kinds of uh, abusive uh, spirits and so forth. Mm -hmm. Just subjecting these children to things that they were not, used to, such as um, bells that would ring to regiment your day. You know, Mm -hmm. we're all used to that. But Mm -hmm. in Native culture, time has a different meaning. Mm -hmm. And things like communal dining, Mm -hmm. most of these children, at least in the early part of the 20th century, didn't even know what a knife and a fork were for. And so that's why they thought, oh, this is a barbarian, you know. Right, right. And yet at the same time, in Native culture, they're looking at the Western culture and saying, no, that's barbarian. Look what you're doing to our land. Look what you're doing to, yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So Frankie gets involved there and a ways through the book, her son Harold goes missing. So she has to join forces with with Nick, this BLM guy, who's a hunk, of course. Of course. And he's, he's half Native. Uh, so he has a little bit of claim on the Native culture. And she has to enlist the help of some Navajo people where they have gone up to the Navajo Nation in the Four Corners area to celebrate their their yearly festival and he go her son goes missing and so then there's kind of a mystery on how they find him and if they find him and where they find him if you want to know more i guess you just have to read that book but well what's uh, really interesting is because this was one of the ways we got to know each other a little bit better because you wrote right. A Sky Without Stars for Abingdon Press, and I wrote A Healing Heart. And unbeknownst to the two of us, both of our books had Native characters in them. That's right. Mine was that... a quarter Absroki, which is uh, known as Crow in the Western world, and set in Montana. She was trying to reestablish her roots with her history and yet understanding who she was in Christ. And mm-hmm. at the same time, she wanted her daughter to know her roots. And so when she was, she, that quilt was called a memory quilt, which was in our family. Yeah. My stepmom, who I adore dearly, made all of my children uh, memory quilts of our lives up till high school graduation. Um, made that for all six of my kids. And, oh, wow. Yeah. How wonderful. And so what I did was I changed it a little bit, the memory quilt in a healing heart has the crow beading talents on the photo squares. So like if there was a dress that had beading on it in the photo, 
they then beaded on it on the quilt, you know, and things like that. That's to, beautiful. Yeah, it was a way to pass down the tradition of the artwork of the Crow people. Did you find, uh, as I did in writing both of my novels that contain Native American elements, mm -hmm. did you find that the Native American church, how did you encounter Native American readers. Um, I encountered, I went to a, a Methodist convention in Salem the year after the Fence book came out, and I had two or three different uh, readers come in who said that they felt like they were in no man's land because they were Native and they were also Christian. Yes, but I also found out that there was a very strong Christian church within yes. the Native community. And I thought that was amazing. And that's why I wrote my book the way I did, you know, and I, to honor those people. I actually did too. And in A Sky Without Stars, one of Nick's best friends is the pastor of a fictional church that has a real-life counterpart I think I named it First American Church or something like that. But it was supposed to represent that not all Native Americans shun the Christian God mm -hmm. and that the God of Christians can be the God for everybody mm -hmm. because he is. Yeah. So, and I went uh, after it as the Western world meeting the Native world yes. and how they were able to come to a connected understanding together. And there is actually debut author out there right now who has made his first novel about that experience. Apparently his part of his family was heavily involved in the Native American Christian Church mm -hmm. and part of his family was not in any way connected to Christianity and so his whole life he's had to try to reconcile those two things. It's not even unique to Native Americans. I think it is no universal because one side of your family wants or believes in one thing, the other side of your family wants or believes in another thing. And I know we've experienced that right within our own families. And I think that sometimes what we're able to do though is take the beauty of fiction and display that in a way that everyone can understand and relate to. And that's what fiction is yeah. about. And yet you still have the opportunity to reach into a world that is maybe unique in the setting and in the characters enough that it takes you out of this moment today in your own life and allows you to explore something different, maybe more exotic than your norm. I would even challenge readers and listeners that when you're writing about your own life, that is also true. Mm -hmm. Because if you are going to write about your life, and you know, they say that most of us who write fiction are really writing about our own lives in some Aren't way, we? shape or form. Here we go, yeah, so listeners, we're going into memoir writing right away. Yeah. Let's go with it. The whole idea um, when I talk about memoir, a lot of times I shock my listeners by first saying, if you're going to write memoir, you have to know that it's not about you. Mm -hmm. uh, and people go, oh, my goodness, what do you mean by that? And what I mean by that is exactly what you said about fiction is that the reader has to be able to leave their world for a little while and enter this totally fictional world mm -hmm. that is not world. in this story world so that it comes alive for them. Mm -hmm. And by saying it's not about you, 
I mean, you have to be thinking about who's reading this, not about your own experience. Because one of the biggest challenges of writing, especially writing in a fictional way, that is through scenes and rising tension and things like that. Creative nonfiction. Right. Any kind of thing like that is that the world that you create as a writer on the inside of your head, you make a lot of assumptions Mm -hmm. and you have to know which things to guide your reader. I, I like to say that as writers, we are managers. We manage our readers. We tell our readers, okay, pay attention to this. Remember that. Oh, no, this isn't important. And so we're managing our readers as they run through our paragraphs and our chapters. And so when you're writing memoir, if you think too much about you, then you're going to probably leave out some very important things that your reader could have really related to and instead give them this kind of cryptic story where your assumptions are safe on the inside of your head but don't translate to that outside reader. So you have to learn that it really isn't about you. It's about how your reader is going to relate to you and your story. It's the takeaway. What is your reader going to learn or absorb from your story that makes a difference in how they see the world or some change that they can make in their life to make their life better? And it doesn't matter what you're reading, fiction, nonfiction, newspapers, it doesn't matter. There has to be reader or listener takeaway for them to care about the story. So Right, and so that, that word care is really a lot of times in writing we abbreviate this little phrase, what's in it for me, mm-hmm. is the same as caring, which is hard for some people to bridge the gap between when your face. Yeah, but your friends and your family are always coming up to you and said, oh, you live such an interesting life. You should write a book about it. I always think of that old Bugs Bunny cartoon where he's giving the monster a manicure. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but Bugs is pretending to be uh, yeah. a manicurist. I remember and that. He, and oh. he's filing the monster's nails and he's saying, oh, you've led such an interesting life. Mm-hmm. And I always think about that because People are always telling me in my teaching capacity, oh, my life has been so interesting. People say all the time I should write a book. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that may be true, and I hope it's true that you have an interesting life. Um, I wouldn't want to expect to read a boring life. But mm-hmm. when you write the interesting life down, suddenly the focus has to be on your reader and not you. And in drawing in that reader so that that takeaway, that, that care of the reader that even catharsis for both reader and writer can come through. Otherwise, it probably is just going to stay that emotion, that caring is not going to go all the way through and make a bridge to your reader. And we're going to take this in even deeper right after this. Stay right where you are. There's more lit up right after this. said to you, man, that'd make a good story. Or you should put that down on paper, but you don't feel like you can do it. Those fears in your head, I can't let anyone read my stories. Who cares about what I have to say? Who would read anything I wrote anyway? I'm not special enough or original enough. 
if those are the fears flying through your mind like a plague of locusts, eating up your confidence each time you sit down to write, all those fears and more boil down to one problem, feeling unworthy. But you are worthy. God gave you a voice and all those ideas swirling in your head for a reason. To write them so that you can make a difference in the world, so that you can touch another person's heart. Let's tackle those fears together, because you are worthy to write. Pick up your copy of Worthy to Write on Amazon, in ebook or in paperback. Does your past haunt you? Do you feel helpless sometimes? Are deep wounds still hurting your heart? Discover how the troubles from your past have prepared you for a beautiful future in Gems of Wisdom by Angela Breidenbach. In Gems of Wisdom, you'll learn how to forgive emotional pirates, better manage negative people, tough situations, and face your fears. Become the woman of courage, confidence, and candor you want to be. Get your copy of Gems of Wisdom, the treasure of experience today, wherever books are sold, or at Angela Breidenbach. I'd like to invite you to subscribe to Lit Up on iTunes. You can subscribe also on toginet.com. It's all about having a more lucrative, creative career and picking the brains of experts that have walked those steps ahead of you. And be sure to share it with someone else that you know is really interested in building a lucrative, creative career. We're glad you're back for more Lit Up. Now here's your host, Angela Breidenbach. And we're back. So, Linda, before yes. we forget, and we, we do want to go deeper into how to bridge the cathartic to the caring, I would like you to be able to share with people, how do we find you online? Oh, that's so easy. My name, Linda, S as in sugar, Claire, C-L-A-R-E. Don't put an I in my name. Most people want to. <laughs> yeah, but it's just .com. I have a website where I do publish the writer's tips usually about once a week and I have all the other information about my books and all the other stuff I do right there for you. Okay, awesome. So Linda S. Claire.com. Now, Correct. take us a little bit deeper. How do we take what we want to write about our life, because it's interesting or whatever, out of the cathartic, where we're pouring it out on the page, you know, we're bleeding it out onto the page because we just need to get this out of our hearts, out of our heads, down on paper. That's catharsis. It helps that us is. to heal. Now, how do you take it from catharsis to caring about the reader? Okay. What I believe in memoir is that there are basically only three kinds of memoir. There are the overcomer kind of memoirs where, you know, maybe somebody has survived cancer, maybe they've survived the Holocaust, you know, it could be anything that they've overcome. Then there's what I call the significance memoir where it's a story that's told in a new and kind of a unique way, but yet it's a very universal thing. It could be about somebody's day in the life, um, but it's told with such uniqueness and such a fresh view that everyone can relate. And then thirdly, there's a talent memoir where, you know, your celebrity, people we admire, people in government, leaders, and so forth. And so those are the basic kinds of of memoirs and when you take your situation whichever situation you fall into and you try to put it down so that it's going beyond catharsis then what you have to remember that you're doing for those of us who aren't celebrities is we are taking a general 
you have to find a general experience. I survived cancer. I survived the Holocaust, whatever it is. I, I conquered this. I stopped drinking, whatever I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and take it to the particular. I think it was E.B. White. You know, the guy that wrote that little guide that we all all writers should have called oh. The Elements of Style. Yeah, yeah. E.B. White is one of the authors of that book. And I believe it is he who said, don't write about man, write about a man. And so that kind of gives you the idea of how you're going to approach your subject. OK, so how do you make it specific? How do you make it take it from the general to the particular? Well, you'll always find me in the corner with writing scenes. That is how we make an experience come to life on the page. And so I would say that most of us start out, including myself, I'm not going to exclude myself because you got to start somewhere. You start out by just getting it down. You want to just write it down. That's the cathartic side. And that's the cathartic side. But when you look at it, after you've catharted yourself, <laughs> I don't think that's a word, but I just after you've expressed catharsis, <laughs> yes. <laughs> then when you go back and look at it, what you're liable to find, and like I said, I I think almost all writers are like this, myself included, is a lot of telling. You're mm-hmm. telling the story because I think a lot of times we have to tell ourselves the story mm-hmm. before we can write it, so that other people can relate to it. I agree. So you're going to find a lot of telling. You've probably heard heard show don't the tell whole thing <laughs> yeah show don't tell but people get kind of I would say nervous mm-hmm. and they're afraid that they're not going to do this showing business real well mm-hmm. and they're so afraid that oh my goodness I told instead of showed don't try to keep yourself from telling just go ahead and tell it but then be willing to be courageous enough to look back of what you've written and say, I can see this event that you've told about happening in my mind. I can replay it. But mm-hmm. could your reader do that? Mm-hmm. And if the answer is no, then, of course, you have to put it into a scene. So what is a scene? A scene in movies or in theaters is where you see people actual people acting out and speaking out the action of the event. Mm-hmm. So we have dialogue, we have a character we ha- or more characters. We have people expressing things in time and space on a real-time basis. You have a lot of sensory information, mm-hmm. such as, you know, what did it look like? What did it sound like? What did it, s- and in fiction and non creative nonfiction, you can add, what did it smell like? We don't have smell a vision yet. But and you can wh- show a character sniffing warm bread from the oven. Oh, right. You know, right. or you can, you can show a character walking into a place that's been cleaned with bleach. You can show right. that. You know. That's right. And so in, in fiction and creative nonfiction, we can go a little farther than, um, movies or theater because we can add in, you know, the the uh, character walking on broken glass or mm-hmm. lying down and, and feeling the, the softness and the freshness of a just laundered pillow. So you can uh, act that out for your reader and thus bring your reader into the actual experience. It's what I call 3D scene writing, where like you... That. 
you want the reader to have as more lifelike experiences possible. By using scenes, you can begin to get that gap between catharsis and the reader's total 3D experience. You can get that gap shortened and close it up. Now, if you write a scene for every moment that's ever happened in this story that you're telling, you're liable to lose your reader. And why do you think that is true? Because if we all had to relive everybody's experience on a minute-by-minute basis, we'd all fall asleep. Yeah, you don't want to say, and that day I woke up and brushed my teeth and took a shower. Right. Right. Made so, my coffee, unless it's so crucial to the scene for some reason. But 99.9% exactly. of the time, it's not. So there again, you're back to managing your reader by choosing the parts of the events to act out that are crucial to the story. If I write a scene about brushing my teeth, but I leave out the scene about how my cat died that day and I was stricken with grief, how is the reader supposed to experience it? Right. So you can see that you only act out the stuff that needs to be told in the story, otherwise the readers don't get it. It's and almost usually, better to, the, I'm sorry to interrupt you, um, it's okay. almost better to look at your the memoir, the story that you're trying to tell as a piece of your life versus your whole life. Um, oh, yes. Uh-huh. Comedically, we saw Steve Martin do the movie where I was born a poor black child, right? But when we start with birth, unless that birth has some action-oriented evidence that's going to come into play in the amazing part, because everybody has boring parts of life, amazing parts of life. You have your peaks and your valleys, your memoir has to be a myopic look at Mm -hmm. that moment in time, not at every single day of your life. And I think that's where a lot of people get off track with writing memoirs. Yes, I do too. Mm -hmm. And I also want to put in a word for uh, what we call sequel. In fiction, there's a technique of writing scenes, but then there's also a technique of writing the sequel to a scene, which is where your character, whatever character, I guess in memoir, it would be you. Mm-hmm. Seeing yourself as a character. That's Seeing yourself in, in, as a character, but the character who is you has to process the action that's unfolding. And mm-hmm. so usually, I mean, and this is a little bit technical, so don't try to think about it too much as you're writing, but for every action, there's a reaction, right? Mm-hmm. And right. so you, as a character, are going to react to whatever's happening in the action of the scene. You are going to have a dilemma of, okay, what should I do now? Mm-hmm. And then you are going to have a decision on doing that action, which leads you into the next action of the scene. And so you can think about the action of the scene as the outer shell and the sequel as what's going on inside the character. For Why this is important is because it's so important, especially in memoir, to bring your reader along by the heart. You know, we we talk about hooking fish in the gills and we want to drag people along by their ears. But really what a writer wants to do is drag people along by their hearts. And we're going to take a break and come back and ask Linda, how do we capture the heart of the reader after this? Stay right where you are. There's more lit up right after this. 
you, man, that'd make a good story. Or you should put that down on paper. But you don't feel like you can do it. Those fears in your head. I can't let anyone read my stories. Who cares about what I have to say? Who would read anything I wrote anyway? I'm not special enough or original enough. If those are the fears flying through your mind like a plague of locusts, eating up your confidence each time you sit down to write, all those fears and more boil down to one problem, feeling unworthy. But you are worthy. God gave you a voice and all those ideas swirling in your head for a reason. To write them so that you can make a difference in the world, so that you can touch another person's heart. Let's tackle those fears together, because you are worthy to write. Pick up your copy of Worthy to Write on Amazon, in ebook or in paperback. Does your past haunt you? Do you feel helpless sometimes? Are deep wounds still hurting your heart? Discover how the troubles from your past have prepared you for a beautiful future in Gems of Wisdom by Angela Breidenbach. In Gems of Wisdom, you'll learn how to forgive emotional pirates, better manage negative people, tough situations, and face your fears. Become the woman of courage, confidence, and candor you want to be. Get your copy of Gems of Wisdom, the treasure of experience today, wherever books are sold, or at Angela Breidenbach. We're glad you're back for more Lit Up. Now here's your host, Angela Breidenbach. And we're back with Linda S. Clare, who is here teaching us how to do memoir writing that sells and memoir writing that has meaning. Memoir writing that captures the reader's heart. If you want to find Linda Clare, you can find her at lindasclare.com. And if you want to find me, your host, Angela Breidenbach, you can find me at angelabreidenbach.com. That's B-R-E-I-D-E-N-B-A-C-H. And you can also find me on social media at Ange Breidenbach. A-N-G-B-R-E-I-D-E-N-B-A-C-H. Now, Linda, continue. Tell us, how do we hook the heart of a reader? To hook the heart of a reader, we have to go back to asking as a reader, first of all, what's in it for me? Okay, so how do, how do I make my reader care? Why should my reader care? That also, you know, is called sometimes the reader takeaway or what you're going to get out of the story. And sometimes people have a hard time trying to figure out what this is, but I think that most of the time it comes down to just a few things that every human being needs. The need for love, the need to feel like I belong, the need to feel like I matter. All those kinds of things are at the heart of every person's need besides food and shelter and to keep breathing. So in a memoir, a lot of times you're going to go right for that heart by asking, okay, what do I need to do to make my reader say, oh, I love this story because I can see myself in it. I can I can get a lot of that sense of how I relate to that story. So one of the little tricks that I use is because my goal when I'm writing memoir, is to help the reader come in. I want to help my reader come in to my heart. I really don't want the reader to gawk at me. I don't want the reader to pity me. I don't want to lose authority with the reader. I want to maintain the reader's respect for me. If it's too much about my feelings and not enough about my reader's feelings, then they're going to feel like I'm just 
putting the spotlight on myself, or some people call it navel-gazing. In order to do this uh, hooking of the heart, one of the things I do is when I start to write, I make up a jury of 12 readers. And I put on that jury 12 people that I admire, the people that I would want to read my story more than anybody. And it could be somebody famous or it could be your mom. Um, It doesn't matter who it is as long as you put that person on your jury with the idea that if they read your work, you'd want them to be so impressed. That's one way that I try to keep myself honest and hook my reader's heart. Another thing that I do is I work on my writer's voice. Now, we hear a lot about voice in Mm -hmm. writing, and it seems pretty uh, elusive to some people. Here's one thing that I think will help. I contract with myself to write the deepest perceptions I have that I can muster without preening, without posturing. How do you charm people in the world? You should do the same thing on the page. Whatever people like about me in the world will be on the page. And I'm kind of taking some of this from an excellent resource on memoir written by Mary Carr, Mm -hmm. uh, who's a fairly famous memoirist. The book is called The Art of Memoir. And she says that, you know, whatever people like about you in the world will be on the page and whatever makes them crazy will be there too. You need both the beauty and the beastie to hold the reader's attention. And I just love that because Mm -hmm. that is one way that I try to connect uh, with the drama that readers are going through day by day in their own lives. I think that we're hardwired to see ourselves in other people in moments of empathy. Mm -hmm. So how do I do that? I go back to show, don't tell. Uh, When I choose a detail to put out there, I call it concrete sensory detail, CSD for short. You trust in your gut that it has a detail that's not cliche, one that's unique, very particular. Mm -hmm. And that, again, is coming from Mary Carr. Another thing I do to try to hook a reader's heart is to ask myself, did I set out to fool people? There have been several prominent memoirs in the news in the last few years, starting with James Fry on Oprah's couch, who famously got taken down for uh, supposedly exaggerating to a big extent his experiences in a book called A A Million Little Pieces, which was about his recovery from drugs. Another one by another author called Three Cups of Tea, which turned Mm -hmm. out to be largely fabricated. Are you trying to set out to portray yourself as something that you really aren't. You have to ask yourself. And so there's been this big, huge debate about telling the truth in memoir. My truth is, this is what I tell my students, is that because I'm old, partly, I'll say, uh, (laughs) (laughs) if you write that you went to Woodstock and that you took your boyfriend there and that your boyfriend got the flu and threw up on your foot, during Jimi Hendrix set, but in reality, you went to Woodstock and it wasn't your boyfriend, it was your second cousin who was sent there to chaperone you, and he really didn't throw up on your your foot, he just sort of got sick behind a bush. Those kind of details, if you fabricate those kind of details, nobody cares. But 
if you didn't go to Woodstock, if you weren't at Woodstock at all, we have a problem. You can't make stuff like that up. You have to know that sometimes readers will forgive a writer who doesn't have the dialogue that was exchanged word for word exactly right. Or like one thing that I've done in my own memoir that is still unpublished, but it's called One Hand Clapping, is in reality, I had two grandmothers like a lot of people, but it was so confusing to go back and forth between these um, not main characters. They were supporting characters. I just made them all both into one grandmother. Mm -hmm. And so to me, that's not lying because the reader doesn't care how many grandmothers I had. Some people have step-grandmothers on step-grandmothers. But what they do care about is that I had a relationship with my grandmother that matters to the story in one one hand clapping and that mm-hmm. I will defend to the death because that is true so I'm it's writing about the, tr- the story of readability the truth within the story versus right. the literal sense of it you know. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And so so when you're struggling to write that truth, you know, if you didn't graduate from Harvard, don't say that. Don't yeah, write no that. Kidding. Um, you know, if you only went there for a semester, you probably shouldn't tell people that you graduated summa cum laude, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you had, you know, something that's very difficult to explain to the reader, like I always tell this uh, story about a a writer who was trying to write a story about how her toddler son had placed these, you know, those multicolored magnets that you put on the refrigerator, right. alphabet letters uh-huh. that kids play with. Well, apparently her toddler son had stuck some of those in the oven while it was on and melted them. <laughs> but in her story, she didn't say multicolored alphabet letter. She said it was a blue plastic duck that got melted. And why? Because if you say blue plastic duck, everybody has an immediate image. Mm-hmm. But if you say multicolored alphabet letter magnet, you could have one of 26 letters. You could have one of several colors. And so it makes the reader have to leave the story to figure out which one you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And so it's just it's not lying to say it was some plastic thing that the kids stuck in the oven and melted. And so if you have to mesh some details together to make your story less confusing and more readable, you go ahead and do that. Just don't say you were at Woodstock if you weren't. Right. I think another thing that people get really hung up on with writing memoir is that their story has to be big. So many people believe that to be interesting or readable or sellable, that you have to tell some harrowing tale, like a big car crash or a war story, or my parents were Satanists and buried me alive. We all think that. And in my memoir classes that I've taught at the community college, a lot of times people will try to write those very harrowing escapes from some kind of horrible thing. But really, if you think about it, a lot of memoirs, that are very successful are just about the internal struggle that we all have for inner peace, for love, for belonging, for those basic things. Mm -hmm. And so if your story feels like it's not exciting enough, 
then think again. Um, maybe go check out a couple of memoirs that I'll recommend. Any of Tobias Wolff's memoirs, they're just about being a kid growing up in the 60s. Anne Lamott's memoirs are just a regular life and all the foibles that happen and how life turns out to be so funny after all. So, I mean, you can write about your just very normal, boring life, a more updated idea of of this concept of ordinary life being readable would be check out we mom so hard is that is that the name of it i mom so hard it's a podcast by two moms showing all the ridiculously funny things that happen when they try so hard to be good parents hmm. um, so you know just write about your life but write about it with courage write about it with honesty write about it with emotion and that emotion is the biggest piece. I think that's really crucial. Does that part. Make sense? Yes. I think it's really crucial to understand that because people try to either whitewash it by not putting their emotion into it so then the reader can't connect or they get so nitty gritty about every single little detail that it, you can't follow it. And another thing that happens, I think, in a memoir is when you're remembering something, the natural way of remembering uh, time and date and place and people, those can all kind of turn in on each other. So your timeline gets very twisted as you remember this part and that part and another part. So it's really helpful for a memoir before you even start, I believe, to write a timeline out so that you actually see when these things happened. Because if you don't see that, sometimes you're leading your reader on a very twisted tale that doesn't make as much sense because you've lost the logical way that it actually flowed in real life because your memories will literally twist in on each other as parts of it become emotional. You're remembering the emotion versus the logical flow. So I think before you start, writing out the timeline is really important and then also choosing a section, like we said earlier, to focus on and, and really giving that the spotlight, putting it under the magnifying glass. And if you wrote a journal, which I think is really wise, going back and remembering the emotion and the incidents as they occurred helps you to put it all back into perspective of why that part in your life is so important. When I wrote Gems of Wisdom, The Treasure of Experience, each chapter is really about different spots in life that are specific. And one of them is about the fear of going off the high dive and how my teacher, who I grumbled about, really helped me overcome that fear until all I wanted to do was jump off that high dive. But that is, is overcoming that fear that everybody can relate to. But if I'd have talked about... The day I learned how to swim, I started swimming at nine months old and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, you know, going on about how I had to go to summer lessons for, you know, weeks on end during the summer. And, you know, that would have taken you completely off the track of the real story of, of facing your fear, you know, of actually staring it down and doing it. So, Linda, we only have just a short minute or two left. What would you tell our listeners to, that you really want to get across and then also share with us how they can hear you speak at upcoming Mount Hermon. I was so honored to be asked to help teach the memoir track 
this year at Mount Hermon Christian Writers Conference. It's been one of my favorite conferences. It's a beautiful place uh, in the Santa Cruz Mountains near San Jose, California. It's been a, a time-honored favorite of writers, authors, and uh, editors alike. And this year, Kay Marshall Strom and I will be teaching an entire track. At any rate, we are so honored to be teaching there and to help people. But uh, it'll be taking place from March 22nd of this year to March 27th. And I think they still have room. Uh, head on over to writers.mountherman.com if you'd like to have more information and are thinking about going. It's a beautiful experience that uh, begins the week before Palm Sunday and ends on Palm Sunday. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous time to refresh yourself, not only for your writing and for your spiritual life as well. I hope if you go, you'll you'll keep going back year after year, as a lot of us have done. Um, thank you so much for tuning in today and to uh, think about writing your memoir. I'd love to hear from you at lindasclair.com. Drop me a note there. And uh, also follow me on Twitter at Linda S. Clare. Uh, you can also see a Facebook page. And I will be happy to talk to you about memoir. Thank you so much for being with us today, Linda Claire, and I think this was just a wonderful show. And if you have a chance to see her speak or check out her website, I hope you will. Tune back in with us at Lit Up Radio here. You can subscribe on Toginet at toginet.com slash shows slash lit up. Or you can subscribe at Apple's Podcasts. And again, thank you for being with us, and we'll be back with you next time. You have a message to share. I hope that this show has given you the opportunity to see how other people have done it so you can too. Pick up a copy of the Captive Brides Collection today. Great historic romances, perfect for any season. You can get it online or at your favorite local retailer. Thank you so much for being with me, and I can't wait to talk with you again. Thank you for joining us on Lit Up. Light up your literary world. Expand your imagination. Enhance your life. Lit Up will be back next week with another great conversation. Join us, won't you? Right here on Lit Up. I'd rather be